This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Your suffering will be legendary even in hell. Get me back my It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all Coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you Freeze. This is the police. Drop your weapons and place your hands above your heads. On Saturday, six members of the gang known as Street Thunder were ambushed by the police. On Sunday, Cholo. the warlords of Street Thunder swore a blood oath to avenge their death. For the gang called Street Thunder, it is a day of vengeance. It's war in the streets. Oh, Jesus, come on. Come on, I'll give you my money. Just don't hurt me. Please, please. It's terror in the night. It's the most shattering assault on a police station in history. Assault on Precinct 13. This is the siege. It's a goddamn siege. You want to stay here and hold until somebody comes, okay? We're in the middle of a city, inside a police station. Does that mean? They're not afraid to die. Any of them. They want to rip us apart, no matter what it costs. It means to the death. Precinct 13, cut off, isolated in the middle of a city, as a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare. We got a war going on down here. We can't find the damn thing. white-hot night of hate, assault on Precinct 13. All right, folks and you degenerates out there, this is Cinema Degeneration Celebration of John Carpenter Month. Now, we're this in the space-time continuum of things, as my friends Timo and Harley like to say, this will be the first show recorded, and I'm not sure if it'll be the first show released, but feel like y'all should know that. <laughs> but tonight, we're going to be covering John Carpenter's second feature film, Assault on Precinct 13, released 1976, the same foul year of our Lord that I was born in. So, me and this movie have somewhat of a connection. <laughs> and joining me this evening is my Grindhouse Pizzeria regular co-host and my good buddy, Tommy K, Tom Commissar. How you doing, man? We're doing great, my friend. We're doing great. And Oh, you were born in 76? That's cool, man. That's cool. Yep. Bicentennial, baby. 
76, what is it, 74? I was, I was 12. I was 12 in 76. Oh, damn. So I'm yeah. going to assume that you might have been old enough to see this in the theater, or did you first see it by I, renting it? I, yeah, I did not see this one in the theater. Um, I did see it on uh, VHS or something year, uh, later on when, when that started hitting. Um, the, this, uh, if I did, I don't remember. I, I used to, we used to just go, me and my cousin, that we used to go to driving constantly. Uh, you know, we saw a bunch of stuff. I may have seen it, but I don't remember. I do remember watching it on VHS or something like that years ago uh, when I first saw it and when I fell in love with it. But uh, it was, yeah, it was, but it was not, I don't think it was in the theater. It could have been. You know, my memories, some, some, some of the stuff I can't remember. I could have seen it, but, but, uh, I remember, I do definitely remember this movie and it's one of, one of my, definitely one of my favorites. Um, it's, it's a good, it's really good. So, yeah. I mean, for a movie that's not a Western is probably the most Western E kind of film that's more, uh, you know, modern day or more urban and, I love it. I, I, I love it. It's, it's one of Carpenter's best, and you know, for his second film, fe second feature film after Dark Star, I think it's quite an accomplishment. Uh, I will give the quick um, IMDb synopsis for all those of you out there who haven't seen this, and if you haven't, please pause the podcast, go see it, rent it, buy it. You won't be disappointed. But here is the synopsis. Police ambush and kill several gang members in Los Angeles. Gang members make a pact of blood to strike back at the police and conduct a siege on the police station, which is almost abandoned and due to be closed. Staff of the closing precinct and the criminals being held there while in transit must work together to fight off the attacking gang members. And that sums it up pretty, pretty nicely. Pretty good. Nice little, pretty good. Most of the time, I kind of feel like the the... IMDb is like, you know, 50-50 on that, whether or not you'll get, you know, right. get a correct <laughs> synopsis. I'll be like, what movie did these motherfuckers watch? Yeah, right. <laughs> Who wrote this? Who wrote this? Yes, but this one was uh, written by uh, John Carpenter and directed by him. I think this was before that he started working with Deborah Hill. I'm not sure when that collaboration really, really started. I know it, it started with uh, Halloween, but it was probably, you know, within the years couple years right. in between these two but uh this movie stars austin stoker as ethan bishop lieutenant ethan bishop and darwin Justin as napoleon wilson as the kind of our two main characters along with Lori zimmer who plays lee and she's you know kind of an enigmatic character is that she is really really good in this and i've never seen her in anything else she only did like three maybe four other films which i never saw this was her first film and after 1979 she just pretty much disappeared and stopped acting altogether, which is a shame because i thought she was really really good it is a shame because i'll tell you what she is fantastic in this movie she is solid as a rock i really love her that character and uh yeah she she could have kept going whatever the reason was but she is fantastic in this movie and i'm glad i'm glad she was cast in it you know, I heard, you know, several people refer to Austin Stoker as kind of uh, a more 70s version of John Wayne, you know, a police lieutenant version of John Wayne. I kind of think uh, uh, <clears throat> Miss Zimmer, you know, it was more John Wayne-ish than, than, than Austin Stoker was. She was very stoic. You know, you believe that she had been around and seen some shit. And that the way that precinct in that area looked, I don't doubt it. Well, it's it's it's. The, the cool thing about this movie that um, that I really like and and 
maybe when I first saw it, it wasn't as old looking as like, but now watching it years later again and, and revisiting it, I, I'm because I'm an Angelino born and raised in Los Angeles. It, it, it so reminds me of LA uh, because obviously it's in that, you know, LA, but, but it, it's, it's, it's not, it's more than that. Just the way it looks, the cars, uh, the police, the way they're dressed, the way they act, their, their cadence. Um, mm-hmm. It reminds me of uh, those old shows that when I was growing up, like Adam 12 and stuff like that. You know, oh, you, yeah. really, you know, you really got that kind of, you know, when you guys my age and, you know, maybe your age, I don't know who all like where the, you know, those, the people stop watching that. But those. Oh, I, I admit I saw them much later in reruns. Yeah, out of 12, yeah, and SWAT, and, you know, and all these cool, like, cop shows. There was a million cop shows. I mean, God, they were all over the place. But they were all kind of uh-huh. like, and, <laughs> and, I mean, it was, you know, like, you know, it was cop procedurals, you know. They were, they were always, you know, it was very popular. And Austin Stoker, I really, really like his smooth demeanor through this thing, you know. I like him because he's, he's rock solid. Um and he's 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 a guy that just seems like a guy that you could trust, and he's got a a, a way about him that's just kind of slow and easy, and he's gonna just take care of the situation, and he really does care about his job, and he cares about doing it right. And I really I think he was the perfect casting for that for uh, Lieutenant Ethan Bishop. I think I I really he to me, I mean obviously he's the star of the movie, but he's he's it's more than that. You know, he really, you know, one, the minute you see him and he comes out and he's whistling, you know, you know, whistling his tune and he's getting in his car and he's getting ready to go down and they, they assign him, you know, to go down. Hey, you know, it's the last night this precinct's open and they, you know, and they, he kind of gets assigned there to keep an eye on it over that, that night. And, you know, he goes down there and it's just his whole demeanor throughout the whole movie that is just, um, I, it, 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 I don't know. There's something I really like that character and I really like the way he played it. You know, I thought all the characters are great, like Napoleon Wilson character, Darwin J- Jostin. I mean, I, I mean, that's you know, what can you say? He was awesome. Well, Austin Stoker plays it very much like the, not so much the lone gun- gunman, uh, but the the lone cowboy kind of riding into town. Right. He, it's yeah. his first day on the job. He's being you know given a new assignment. Nobody knows him there. He's just kind of the lone gun coming into town and given charge of this place it's like it's a dying precinct kind of like a cowboy being in charge of you know sheriff being in charge of a dying town right yes and and that's when i I did a little reading up on it and this i mean it's by no mistake that it's like that because carpenter wanted to shoot a western but knew for the budget you know they wanted him to shoot it for a hundred thousand dollars or less he's like well there's no way i can do a period piece i can't do a western for that kind of money but i'll make a modern day western so there's a you know it's very deliberate and very inspired by Rio Bravo, I might add. Oh, absolutely, and and yeah, very much the cowboy. What you said there, the the kind of the this the, the uh, soft spoken cowboy, you know. Yeah, you know, you kind of feel like he's kind of somewhere between, uh, you know, like a John Wayne and a Shane type character. Right. Yeah, and he was perfect for that. And I think he was that just the way he played it was was perfect. Um, I I really like. The one thing about this movie that um, I like is the is that really that I really enjoy watching it is um, some people may say a slow burn, but it's not. To me, the pacing is is very relaxed. 
like it's an act. There's a lot going on. You know what I mean? It's just like you know they're gonna t- you know these this gang. <clears throat> basically, what happens in the beginning of the movie? Yeah, is, let's talk about that opening. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this opening is fantastic. It's in South Central Los Angeles, and this gang called Street Thunder. They got a, they're having a problem with they, they, these gangs that are basically uh, stealing you know all these assault weapons and everything, and they're you know they're really arming up. So it's a real problem, you know, like it is in real life, you know, like a lot of these. Right. These Especially at that of, time it was. Right. There's lots of guns, you know, and uh, things and were probably guys, a, a lot less uh, regulated back then, too, in the right. 70s, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, you know, there was a lot of things going, going on in the, but basically uh, the guys that steal this stuff. Um, it starts out pretty much right away. They're stealing these guns, and the cops, the uh, the LAPD, basically have them set yeah, up. Kind of ambush them and just they ambush them, and then they do. They, I mean, they just the, the cops are just they're blowing shotguns at them. I mean, they're just wasting these guys. You know, they're just. I mean, they just got them, and they're just blowing these guys away. There's no just. There's no taking prisoners here. They're just killing them. Right. They just. They pretty much murder them because if I remember right, like the the cops fire first, don't they? <laughs> They're blowing them away. And then they do the thing in the, I mean, we got more story to tell, but there's one thing I love about these older movies from the seventies and stuff like that. The loud guns when they're going off and they're just like, fucking bam, fucking loud as fuck. I just love that. Yeah. Where a shotgun blast sounds like a stick of dynamite going off. (laughs) Well, it's funny because, um, what just, I don't want to get off topic too much, but when, uh, they made Bonnie and Clyde, they were they they did something like that in the studio where like fucking um, Warren Beatty, I guess the sound guy was like fuck, you know they're editing this thing. He's like, it's like they turned the guns down on this thing, the sound because it was so loud, it was blowing the meters out. Like oh fuck, you know it's like so. They, and then Warren Beatty comes, he's listening, and he uh, basically got pissed. Like no, turn the fucking guns up, you know, like you know, like you know, we want the, <laughs> we want them like that. To, you know, crank and turn up the fucking guns. That was essentially him going, you know what we need? We need more cowbell. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and of course his guns sounded like you said, they sound like, you know, bombs going off. And that's what they wanted. Well, that's what this how the scene opens up. And they're and you know, and they're nailing these guys. So basically, you know, you're not gonna get off the hook by killing these fucks, uh, even though they deserve it, but <laughs> Yeah, they kind of go through, uh, it, it cuts right from that after the opening credits to them. The, it was like three gangs coming, to the, or a couple of gangs coming together to make a blood oath to take take them out, right? I mean, that's pretty much what they do. Warlords get together, yeah, and they make a pact. And they're like going, okay, like a blood oath. And they're saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to take out, this, we're going to fuck the city up. We're going to get these cops. We're going to get these, you know, we're going we're gonna to start killing people. We're going we're gonna to make these cops pay. And, well, and then, that even comes back into play a little bit later on. I mean, we'll we'll get to it eventually. But that that bowl of blood that they all cut and you know and tap their brains veins into, that comes into play later on. Right. That is correct. So what's cool? What? So basically, what happens is when I'm talking about like the, the, the slow pace of the movie, now you've got these. You've got it's it's kind of like they kind of go back and forth. It's like the Tarantino thing: three stories into one story. You know, they go and they, yeah, right. they got these three different sequences and they go in and they've got the, uh, they've got the, uh, the, the car load of, uh, 
of the of the thugs, the warlords, the guys, and they got their arm to the teeth, and they're in the cars with their, and they got silencers on these pistols and rifles. You know, this is like the top of the line shit, and they're basically just driving around in this fucking old car with you know like a sounds like it's got glass packs on it or something. You know, just roaring around like a muscle car, and they're just driving around menacingly. They're not really doing anything yet. They're just driving around. They're just and the one guy who I, I made a note was uh, Frank Doubleday, who played Romero in uh, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Right, right. He plays the uh, the character known as the White Warlord, and he's yeah. you know looking like he's got like an M sixteen or some sort of uh, assault rifle, you know, with a, a scope on it, and he's like looking at you know a homeless guy begging for money. He's looking at a kid skipping down the street, a little old lady with some groceries, and he's just. I think he's just waiting for the right one to pick. He's just basically, that's the scary thing. It's like, it's all so random. Like, we're going to kill some citizens. And, you know, they're driving around. And that's scary. Because, you know, motherfuckers go out and do this shit for real now. You know, people drive around and, you know, and they want to pick yeah. somebody fun, you know. And so these guys, but they're not, and what I, what's, what's crazy, what's cool, movie-wise, when you're watching it, they're not talking, really. They're just driving around. They never talk. Being I don't scared. think a single one of them. I don't think they ever... say weird in the fucking whole thing. I mean, they're just like driving around. They're just, you know, and they're and they're just, you know, looking around, looking at people. And so it kind of cuts back. And then you got a, you've got our man uh, Ethan Bishop, uh, the lieutenant, and he's kind of heading down the car, and he's on the car, the little Motorola CB. Oh yeah. Or, Tells you uh, how old this movie is. Yeah, <laughs> which which totally reminds. Now, this is where I made a note. I made one note when he gets reassigned. They tell him that this movie is called Assault on Precinct Thirteen, right? But they tell him to go to Precinct Nine, Division Thirteen, right? So that's a little snafu. And then something I actually noticed. Uh, I noticed it a long time ago, but I have to point out. Because this movie is not perfect, it's, it has its its faults, you know. But I, it doesn't. Uh, it's not a de- detriment to the movie. But they say Precinct Nine, Division Thirteen, and when he gets there, it's actually Division Fourteen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just to uh, put that out there, you know. Well, I was just like, you know, that was like somewhere they got somewhere, and they're like, "Fuck, we can't change it now. Go with it. Just go with it." Yeah, it's like one of those who really cares. Okay, you found it. You know, it's like that scene. There's a scene in Halloween where, you know, obviously it's supposed to be, you know, Haddonville, you know, uh, Haddonfield, Illinois, and uh, you know, in the in, in the fall, and you can see a, there's like one shot where she's walking across the street, and you see a palm tree way in the background. You know, yeah. big, big, <laughs> how big, many palm big. trees in Illinois? All right, they're not, but who cares? You know, okay, so it's there. I know. Funny yeah, I don't, but I I love finding stuff like that. I love that. But anyway, people, we digress. Funny when you find it, you know. It's like, but some people, oh, you know, they make a big deal out of stuff. I think it's funny as shit because yeah, you know, I love I, picking that stuff out. Yeah, dude. Like I didn't, I didn't even notice that until you said that. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, all right, all right. I didn't even think, think about it, but uh, but that's what's. But I love that. Yeah, when you, you know, and then even like the mistakes you catch them and the, you know the. And uh, Division Thirteen or whatever. And so anyway, yeah. so they're sending sending uh, for, uh, Ethan, uh, Lieutenant Bishop down there. He's heading down there, and then you've got uh, you've, then he goes back. You got your guys still cruising around looking for trouble. They haven't decided what they're going to do yet. Then you got a father who's he's having his 
he's kind of driving this really cool Continental. Oh yeah, got cool his, old Lincoln. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and he's got his he's got his daughter with him, and she's yakking away, and he's got something going on. He's like, and you know, he's then and uh, Kim well, it's the daughter really something. I, I feel like that character was underdeveloped for the one reason he he seems adverse to the idea to stopping and asking the cops for help. Like he just gets kind of iffy when she's like, well, there's a police officer. Let's ask them for directions. Right. Cause he's looking for wherever it is. They're trying to go to their, her aunt's house or her grandma's house or wherever it was. But he's like, no, no, no. We don't you know, like my, my teacher says, you know, that you ask the police for help and they're there to assist you. And he's just like, nope, nope, nope. So you kind of get the idea that like he has something shady going on, but it's never developed. He's just dad. Right. Like, I don't want to talk to the cops, honey. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might have been just that. Like, do we need to bring them into this? No. So, but now, I forgot what his name was. Lawson. That's it. Martin West played him. Very good character actor. Now, the daughter is one that we all know from all kinds of stuff. Kim Richards, who uh, played Kathy. And that's the young daughter in the car. And we've seen her and, you know, Escape from Witch Mountain and, you know, a million movies back then. Anyway, so I she's. I mostly know her from Witch Mountain, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, I remember back then she was in a lot of stuff. I think she'd done a ton of TV stuff and movies. And and uh, and uh, so she's the daughter. <clears throat> and again, we're, we're still kind of like a saying, the kind of the slow roll, kind of just it's moving along at a nice pace, but it's not, you know, it's just building up, but it's not too crazy yet. And then we see the, uh, the ice cream man. She, what happens is uh, dad needs to make a phone call. And, of course, long before cell phones. And dad has to find a – he finds a telephone booth, and he pulls over, and he's on the phone, whatever he's, whoever he's talking to. And then there's an ice cream man. A little bit early, yeah, and this poor ice cream man we got to mention has been noticing that car rolling around and senses trouble. He right. is paranoid as shit. And he was looking back, and he's looking in his side mirror, and he sees them. They drive by, and then he's looking out the windshield, and then they go around the block, and they're coming by again. So he, he you know, he's nervous. And I was going to say, and before we even uh, this happens, we got to mention uh, the transport job from the prison that we get introduced well, to. Right. That actually, I think, comes before them. We get uh, this uh, character, oh God, that Darwin Jostin plays, Napoleon Wilson. He's uh, They're getting ready to transport some prisoners. Charles Seifer, who plays uh, Sheriff Brackett in uh, Halloween and Halloween 2 and was also in The Fog. So he's a, you know, he's a, uh, a carpenter staple. You know, you almost you expect to see him. If you don't see him, you know, it's like, oh, he's an Escape from New York guy. Not surprised. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's got the unfortunate uh, job. His character Starker has got the unfortunate job of transporting Napoleon Wilson, who is a notorious you know killer. Everybody seems to know him. And that's again kind of that westerny kind of character, you know, that that gunslinger that's just you know killed one too many people in a duel in the streets, you know. And they constantly ask him why he he killed people and why he did what he did, and he always is like, "I'll tell you when the time's right." He never says anything to anybody you know, about it. He's a very cool character. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get into that before we got in, get into what is, I think, the biggest what-the-fuck moment of the movie. Right. Well, you know, we're getting to that. <laughs> <laughs> this is what, what you remember you would call, I, I want to take. I'm gonna steal one of your phrases from you, but they, in a few minutes, commit uh, a big bozo no-no. Yes, but I'll right. let you take it. I'll let you describe the bozo no-no. 
Well, here, well, what's what's cool? Going back to the Napoleon uh, Wilson character from Darwin Johnson, it's kind of funny because you know he's got you can tell he's got a reputation, but he's he's as cool as a cucumber too, and he's got a thing where he's always asking in between stuff if he's he's always asking if he got a smoke, got a smoke, and of course nobody ever gives him a smoke, and then he kind of <laughs> and he just kind of and uh, that's kind of like barred from westerns too. Um, there's I think a it's, it's another real Bravo nod or something from High Noon. I, I, I remember reading about it, but I, I don't remember the specifics. No, so, and there's a character that says that a lot. And I, off the top of my head, I can't. But but that's kind of like his little line. Like, no matter what's going on, like there's a guy in there, one of the cops, one of the he's, or one of the commissioners or whatever, he kind of like accidentally, like purposely knocks him off his chair. And then, you know, and he doesn't get pissed off. And then fucking Starker's like, what happened? He's like, oh, looks like I just fell off my chair. You know, he's like, you don't even give a shit. Like, you ain't fucking, you know, you're not going to stir me up, you cop. You know, he's like, he's, right. he's laughing, you know, like, yeah, whatever. Okay. I fell off my chair. I, I love how he get he gets them later on, though. I, oh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I'm a fan of what happens next. Right. But uh, it's cool that um, when they... Uh, Basically, there's three prisoners that they've got to get going. Um, they're going to take them to this other thing. So there's there's Napoleon, and then you've got uh, Tony Burton as Wells. Yeah, from old Rocky fame, yeah. Everybody knows Tony Burton, and he plays a cool character. He's one of the other bad asses that yeah, you know, has to be guarded. Uh, and then they've got, uh, what was the other guy? Um, Caudel. That was Peter Franklin. Caudel, and he's, the, he's like the younger guy. Don't know what he, they've got done, but they're badasses too. They're being transferred now. And Napoleon Wilson, he's the he's the big. You he's know, the he's only the, one that's in shackles, though. Right, <laughs> they right. ain't taking he, no chances with him. Yeah, he's the badass. So they get him in there, <clears throat> and uh, they're going down the road. We're gonna take him, and then now I don't know if this was a thing. I always thought this thing could have been a fakeroo. Like from Caudell, but he starts coughing a lot, and he's like either sick or he's faking sick. Well, you know, I think he really was because the way they did his makeup and they made him sweating through his clothes. You know, like the first time you're watching it, you think it's definitely a ploy, but I don't think it was because if it was a ploy, he never banked on it. Right. Well, you know, it, he never made his play if he wasn't because he he looked sicker than a dog, and he, he was acting he sicker looked, than yeah, a dog. He was definitely greasy looking. He was definitely sweaty. But anyway, so Starker asked the driver, the, the guard that's driving, you know, like how much, wherever, I forget where they're going, but, you know, and he goes, he tells him it's like six more hours. He says, oh, we can't do that. We got to get this guy off the bus. You know, he's sick. You know, we got to get him to a doctor. So they decide to go, <clears throat> lo and behold, he looks up on his thing and they find a, a precinct 13 is really close. So they decide to go there not knowing that it's, you know, been decommissioned. Uh, they're going there. They're going to drop off and call a doctor. So that's what brings yeah. them. So now they, you got them coming to the station um, and for to take care of this guy and get him some medical attention. And so that's what brings them in, going in there. Now we go back to ice cream to man. Ice cream man. Now, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, touchy Walk. subject, but man, we got to cover it. I tell you, this is this is quite a scene. So. Um, <clears throat> ice cream man's looking around. The car goes by again, and it kind of disappears. So he kind of thinks it's gone. His music's going. <coughs> the little girl, like tapping on this phone uh, booth. 
like, Daddy, Daddy, it's the ice cream man. I want ice cream. Daddy, Daddy. You know, so he reaches in, gives her, you know, a couple of dimes or whatever. And so she goes running over to the thing. And then the guy, so she's like, hi, you know, and she's like, uh, can you give me a, you know, he, she's ordering ice cream. And so right away, our ice cream man, he's like, he's thinking of her, you know, like, no, 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 I'm, I'm close. I'm closing up, you know, like it's. Yeah, and, man, uh, that's what you tell them. But your music's still on. So he instantly turns it off. Right. You know? So he gets her an ice cream. He gets her the cone. She wants a vanilla twist. And then, uh, so she walks off, she's happy kid, got the big old ice cream, walking back to dad, who's still in the phone booth. And then next thing you know, with, he's sitting there looking out at the girl, and then our dude. Um, yeah, the, the white warlord, Frank Doubleday. The, yeah, yeah, Frank Doubleday. <clears throat> he comes walking up into view, standing right outside the driver window. <clears throat> so now it's bad news. He's looking at him. Oh, like, oh. yeah. And then, so, little girl, or little Kathy, she re she realizes that it's not a vanilla twist, it's just vanilla. So she goes, hey, it's just vanilla. So she runs and, back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, poor kid. <laughs> it's back, and you're like, oh, this is all kinds of bad. Oh, my God, what's going to happen? So she's running back. <clears throat> and, uh, she runs back up to the window like, hey, mister, you know, like that. And then it just right at that second, our white warlord takes that silent, that gun with the silencer on her and he just blasts her right in the chest. I mean, and the thing, I never noticed until the other day when I watched this. I mean, I was no, I mean, it's hard to miss because it's a big bloody shot. He shoots her right point blank in the chest. I doesn't never realize that the shot goes through the ice cream. Oh, yeah. It like explodes. Yeah, like it explodes like in the ice cream cone and then into her. I was like, wow, kind of intricate for 1976. Yeah, that's, so that's what I took away from it. Not, oh, my God, they just killed the kid. Like, ooh, look at the angle of that shot. No, <laughs> I'm horrible person. <laughs> Instead of the, you know, the 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 audience member like going, what? The, you just shot a fucking kid. And so this kid's dead. I mean, she's laying in the grass, you know, dead as fuck. And then, and then, you know... Yeah, uh, which again, big bozo no-no. That was what uh, the one thing that got them in trouble with the MPAA. They, you know, had to threaten them to get them to try to cut that, which they you, didn't. You know what he did? He gave... Carpenter he, gave them a copy with the cut, but then they released it without the cut. Yeah, released it with the footage still in. I know, sneaky motherfuckers, man. And so he, you know, so they got a cut with with the cut, and then you know they, of course, the theaters got the good stuff. You know, they got the hardcore, the uncut <clears throat> with that scene in it. And uh, you know, and of course, you know he, you know he Carpenter, and he says, you know, he probably shouldn't have done that scene or whatever. But hey, you know what? You're you're depicting really violent guys, and sometimes kids get killed. You, you realize how uh, how serious they are. You know, you re you realize what kind of pe people you're dealing with. I mean, uh, yeah, can't say I agree with it. Can't say I disagree with it, but. But it's hardcore nonetheless, man. But yeah, hey, it's definitely hardcore. Now this gets pretty, this is some pretty good action here. So they drag out ice cream man to kill him. So you got, he's dead. He's, he seemed like a good dude. And he was out of there and you got a little girl laying there. <clears throat> Dad. Now he's coming up the street and you can see the girl laying there and the guy laying in the street. So he runs up and of course he's like freaking out like any dad would. 
Yeah, well, he takes the the driver's gun because the driver, before he dies, he manages to whisper to him, "There's a gun under the the dash." Yeah. You show that earlier that there's a, a gun sticking out of the dash because the guy kept looking at it, thinking he's might need it, you know. So it was they set it up nice. So so dad, he takes his coat off, wraps his daughter up in it, and he's crying, and it's, you know, it's just a terrible scene. He jumps up, he listens. The guy grabs a gun, and basically he runs to his car. The assholes take off in their muscle car, They're, uh, <clears throat> and they, they screech down the street, and Dad flips a U-turn and just goes after the motherfuckers. He chases them down, and then uh, he gets them, he basically chases them into a parking lot, and they go head-to-head, and they get out of the car, and he gets out, and the, the, everybody, the other three guys took off running, and uh, the white war right. with the daughter, he's standing going to shoot him. And dad fucking blasts him. You know, he takes that gun and he kills the dude. And, and I love uh, the White Warlord's reaction to being shot. He just looks down almost like he can't fucking believe it. Like, he just, like, not look like, how oh, I've been shot. Just kind of like a, well, that's peculiar. Eh, whoa, I got shot. You know, but he didn't say anything. You know, like, it's like no reaction. He just, like, and again, just we have to, to say here, these gang members, none of them ever make a sound unless they're sometimes they're being, you know, as they're being shot and flying out a window and getting shot left and right later on, you know, they might scream a little bit or grunt as they're dying, but they never say anything, anything. Yeah. And I think that's so cool. Cause it's like, you yeah. know, like what are these guys even thinking? And they're not even talking and nobody's saying anything. You know, it's just weird. It makes it even creepier. So dad takes off. Um, I think he just takes off running, right? And he, and, yeah, and, because the other gang members start to walk back up. Right. Because his gun's empty at this point. He empties the whole gun into the White Warlord. Right. And he he runs until he finds another phone booth, but he doesn't last there long. And then he happens upon our Precinct 13. Right. So he makes his way into that. And at that moment, there's still people in there. Uh, they've got the... Um, uh, well, they got the... Henry Brandon, Sergeant Cheney's in there. Uh, yeah, they've got, they've got uh, you know, there's different people that are still working there. You've got, uh, of got course, like a secretary, and then uh, one lady was uh, file doing some filing and stuff like that. You know, I think the character's name was Julie. Was it Julie? Um, yeah, Julie. You got well, that's Nancy Loomis. Yeah, or Nancy. Yeah, Nancy Loomis uh, was uh, in Halloween. In Halloween, I kept wanting to say Judy. I couldn't remember if it was Judy or Julie, but <laughs> she's the operator. She's on the old switchboard. Now, and now, on a side note, did, was it just me, or did you feel like Nancy Loomis and Lori Zimmer like look so much alike that sometimes it was difficult to say who, which character it was? I started to know them by their outfits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had to look right, right. They, they definitely they look like had... sisters. They look like damn near identical. They definitely could have been sisters. I mean, they, I, I, yeah, they did look very much like. And uh, so she's in there, and uh, that's cool to see her. And uh, and she's uh, so basically, you've got skeleton crew. Skeleton crew. They're winding down. They're talking about that. You know, the phones are going to be shut off in the morning. Power is going to be shut off in the morning. So it's like they're winding down. They're kind of packing shit up and just kind of handling the last little bit of business for the day. What I like, there's a little story that uh, Bishop tells about how, you know, he had grown up around that area. 
Right. You know, like how he without his father sending him to the police station when he was like six or seven years old with a note. You know, I, I just I love that story. I don't, I don't know what yeah. it is, but it tells you the kind of character he is. You know, he, he's strong, he's tough, but he's you know also a little vulnerable at the same time. But I, I I just like it. I like the story. The story itself is really wonderful because basically he'd said some bad words, and the father wrote a note making him go down and tell the police that you know he had used bad language in front he, of his mother. That is right. He taught him his dad taught him a lesson, like like you you know you don't talk to your mother around like that. And yeah, because bad kids go to jail. <laughs> you're gonna go down and report yourself to the police. You know, and I just thought it was a kind of a cool story about something dad might do, you know, like, like, yeah, you go down and tell him what you did, you know, and in a way for them to think, oh, man, you know, shit, you know, I don't want to be locked up, you know. <laughs> right, and it, right. It's been everything that turned him into a good cop, you know, like a, one of the good guys, you know, like decided, hey, you know, I'm going to fly off straight, you know. Yep, and yep. It, it, good it's story, glad good you story. That up because that is a, that is a wonderful story. And because, like I said, I, that character is so solid. I really, I really, really like him. And uh, that story just just sold it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this is this guy. I'm skippy, it did. This is one of the good cowboys. This is the guy with the white hat and the big horse, and he's going to come in. Yep. And, you know, he's going to save you. He's, the gun he's fighting, the sil- uh, firing silver bullets. Right. He, you can count on this guy. He's got your back. But this uh, is when trouble, so- uh, at this point, trouble comes rolling through their front door in the form of our dad. Yeah, dad yeah. rolled through the door. Now, dad at this point is like just like walking dead. He's he can hardly he can't even speak. Yeah, he can barely even whisper. That was the one little like m- pretty much the minor issue I had with it. Like I could understand like after maybe running ten city blocks or however long he was running for these guys to getting there, maybe out of breath, maybe choked up and you know in shock. You know, taking all those things into account and figure, all right, I can understand he can't talk right now. He can hardly whisper, but he never recovered from it. I felt like, you know, dude, you know, for the rest of the movie, he's laying around with a blanket wrapped around him. Like, I understand your your daughter just died, but fight back, man. You like, you got to do something. It's kind of like Barbara and Night of the Living Dead. I thought thought really, I thought at some point they could have had him tell his story. Like in between the gunshots, when the gang members are reloading, like, you know, like, what's your like story? He whispers his story to a couple of the people, you know, bits and pieces of it, but it's always off camera. Like, yeah, they he said something about they killed his daughter, but he shot the guy who did it. Like, okay, right. but like, we never hear him ever say another word, you know, past the scene of him finding they, his daughter dead. I just thought it was yeah. a little weird. Yeah, they could have they could have used him a little bit more, you know, and kind of told the story, and you know, maybe you know, I don't know, but whatever. That was again, the, you know, it's it's a minor gripe, minor gripe. You know. But I agree. I do agree with you on that. I thought that, well, you know, a little weird. He could have been. He's like almost like a dead body. You know, he's just there. You know, not really. Like I said, very it. much like Barbara and I, the Living Dead, just kind of a bump on the log, really. <laughs> so now it starts ramping up. Uh, they're they don't really, you know, they're all kind of in there, and then uh, it uh, what we get. Oh, we don't have anything yet uh, as far as we get the the bus comes rolling in. So they that comes rolling in with the prisoners, and they they're kind of like in this like side entrance, and uh, that's pretty much when the shooting starts, isn't it? It's like when well they, they let they let them in, uh, you know. Uh, Bishop let you know lets the men he lets Darker and the men and the couple of guards and the prisoners, 
you know, basically trying to tell them, you know, like, hey, we, we, you know, we're closing down, we're not equipped, and like, but you're going to house us, right? Because this guy could be contagious. And right. just within moments after that, that the dad, Lawson, shows up. And within, uh, you know, a, a minute after that is when uh, the one cop goes out front because the power gets cut. And he goes out front to, uh, or not the power gets cut, but uh, the phone lines get cut. Right. He goes out front, and they at first, you know, the the Julie character's like, oh, look, he fell down. And like, no, he didn't fall down. He got shot 18 times. Right. Yeah, that was, yeah. So they go to try to take the, uh, they go to try to take the prisoners out the back door, out the at side door to get them back. You know, they're going to try to escape on the, the prison bus, and pretty much everybody gets shot up. The, the two guards get shot. Starker, he gets shot in the back and falls on top of, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Drew Banker, Wilson, <laughs> sorry. I had a well, brain fart there. But yeah, he pins him down. And if it's not for uh, Lieutenant Bishop, I mean, he, like, he would have been dead too because Bishop saves him. Yeah, yeah, he, he, gets him, he gets him up. It's pretty much a bloodbath. And it's pretty cool because, because when it happens, it's like, you know, they got the silences on, which is really cool. You hear a lot of just a pew, 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 you know, a lot of guys yeah. just get hit real quick and like they they really have no chance to react they're just all like these guys just slaughter them i mean it's a slaughter and then it's like about a five minute straight scene after uh bishop puts all the the remaining two prisoners wells and uh wilson and back in their cells it's about a five minute straight shot of just them pummeling the building with bullets like breaking every window every light fixture everything it's just like just blow as everything to smithereens i mean and that particular scene too um, is so satisfying to watch because it's so scary. It's so weird to be like, because the whole time it's going on, you're thinking, "What the fuck?" Like these bullets can pretty much go in through anything. You know, they're going through the walls. They're going obviously the glass. All the glass is shattering. Like every window is getting blown out. You know, it's like dick, 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 dick. It's just like nonstop. Pew, 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 oh yeah, pew. there's papers flying, shit shattering, windows are breaking. Like- yeah, I like the way he Carpenter has got this set up. Like you know, like one of the last shots, you just see a big stack of papers go. <laughs> just like, and, and it just kind of they just kind of float down through frame as they're all hunkering down on the ground. Yeah, right. yeah. It, I like that shot. It's like, oh yeah, that's cool. But these bullets, like you're on there, you thinking to yourself, even if you're on your ground and you're on the ground and you're crawling around in your belly, which is about all you could do. You know, smart. You know, you stay as low as you can, but still, these fucking bullets are just going through the. They're doing. They're going through the desk. They're going through the walls. I mean, there's nowhere. Everything. There's nowhere to go, and you're gonna get it. I I, I just think that their only uh, mode of thinking was like make yourself as small a target as possible. <laughs> you know, and pray. Throw a hail hail mary and just pray. <laughs> now, during that, is that where uh, Lay Lee rather Lee Lori Zimmer? Didn't she get tagged there? Is that is that where she gets tagged? Well, no, not after the first assault, they go down. Um, he gives her a gun. A bishop gives her a gun. He goes downstairs, and there starts to be a second assault on him. They start coming through the 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 downstairs leading into the uh, the holding cell area. Right. And she takes she takes a, like a, a ricochet right. that just kind of like grazes her arm, and she just stands there and fucking takes it. Yeah, that was uh, kind of like it was like oh. You know, she's like, oh, fuck. You know, it's just like, you know, like, you know, like, but it's, yeah, she's a badass in that. But that's a good scene because they're coming in. They're just blasting these guys as they're running down the hall. 
Well, yeah, but the second wave, they start using the cars as shield. They're rolling the cars and taking... I mean, there's yeah. dozens of these guys. And well, we haven't skipped over the one part. They show up with uh, a white sheet, something written on blood in it that you never really see. But they toss the big bucket or bowl of blood that they had all drained their blood oath blood into and threw it on the on the ground in front of the place, basically letting them know that they're marked. It's like, yeah. Like they don't even need to know. They're like they even there's even a conversation. You know what are we? What's going on? Like they're marking us for what? You know it's like, you kind of get that notion is like don't do you really have to ask? <laughs> right. Well, it, well, what's cool too, like um, there's there's when you know every once in a while the uh, uh, like Bishop and those guys they'll you know they'll start looking out at uh, you know they're looking outside trying to see what the hell's going on, and it's really cool because. Uh, you'll see like there's rows of like trees and bushes and you won't see anything. And they'll look again, you'll see a bunch of guys down there like, oh shit, there's like a fuck ton Just of Just kind of hunkered down in the bushes behind the trees. You're like, what the fuck do these guys want? You know, what are they doing? Well, there's nothing here. You know, I mean, what do you want? And then like, you know, and then I like the, the scene with the cars are cool because they got these cars that are just like, they're not like on, they're just pushing them. You yep, know, where they're, they're the sh rolling, rolling shields. Shields and they kind of roll them out in the street. <clears throat> What's cool is, is at some point in the movie when as it's going on and it's getting worse, is the cops that kind of in the area responding like, like neighbors and people in the community are calling saying, "Hey, you know, we hear stuff. You know, like what's going on out here? You know." And these guys, yeah, they say it's either gunfire or fireworks, but otherwise right. they're getting noise and complaints. They, and they keep backing the stuff off the the the, the guys that are doing the assault, the gang. So, like, every time somebody's going around, there's nothing in the street, you know, so it looks clean. They're like, what the, where is this going on? You know, like, and so it's kind of driving the, the other cops nuts, the beat cops that are out. Yeah, because the, the, the original group of beat cops, they're pretty useless. They're pretty useless. Right. And even the ones that show up later on show up at the most inopportune time for, they show right. up the, basically to watch, like, oh, hey, we just, we, we already saved the day. Don't worry about it. You know, but when they let uh, Wilson and Wells out of their cells, I mean, they 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 have to you know, arm them. And you know, there's the scene where they're breaking a couple of shotguns out of they're you know the, they're rushing up the 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 holding cell area to, to the main area where they're at in the offices. And Bishop has to throw him a gun. And there's a nice little tense scene. He throws him a gun. He turns around. Wilson shotguns, you know, three or four goons coming through the door, and there's that pause where they're both looking at each other like, okay, you're, you're our most notorious pr prisoner right now, and I just gave you a loaded shotgun. I, then, I like that tension that's there, because I could just shoot you right now, motherfucker, and we know it, you know, like, you know, it's like, there's this moment of, like, am I going to be able to trust this guy? And then looking at him, you know, He's looking at him like, you know, do I need, you know, you're a cop. I just, you know, I need, I can get the fuck out of here right now if I want to, you know. And and there's just, you know, it's like that moment where they got to give him the guns. I like it. You're thinking, I need these. You're thinking of bishops like, oh, God, I need these guys right now. I need these dudes. Yeah, I mean, it's, he has no, no, no fellow officers to help him. You know, he's got the uh, lady running the switchboard and... A secretary, you know, that's, uh, that's been filing stuff away. You know, nobody that really has any kind of experience with firearms or whatnot. Although, right, um, uh, Lee does a really good. She does a really good job. You know, uh, Nancy Loomis doesn't really do anything besides scream until she get t catches the bullet in the head. 
But the next siege is just nothing but like 10 minutes of gunfire. These guys just keep coming through the windows like zombies. They're, yeah, it's, it's bad. Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, they're just left and right coming through the doors, coming through the windows. A couple dozen of them, wouldn't you say? Probably a good 25 or 30 it's, of them to stand up. Non-stop. I mean, it's like, it's like, yeah, it is like zombies. Like, it's just an ocean of dudes are just coming through the fucking windows. And you're like, God damn it's it. Endless. So, you know, obviously these guys are going to be they're running out of ammo. And uh, it's bad. They're right now, they're trying to figure out what the fuck they're going to do. Um, one of them suggests, I forget who, but they talk about maybe going down into the basement and hunkering. That was, uh, I think, it, I, I think it was Wells that makes the the comment that he want you know he's going to make a run for it, and right. even like he's the first one to get kind of itchy trigger finger, even though his gun's fucking empty. You know, he points it at uh, at Lee, at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, at uh, Lori Zimmer's character Lee, and uh, you know she's like, I've already been shot once tonight, you know. Let's not do this again, you know. But uh, she tells him there's a way to get out through, like. But yeah, don't don't forget the comic scene. One cool thing. Oh, go for it. He goes, oh, by the way, and he goes. He looked at. Does he notice it or does she tell him that his gun is empty? <laughs> oh, she she tells him because he then he picks it up. He clicks the because he starts to pull the hammer back. She looks down and she's like, doesn't even know his gun's empty. And he's just like, and he pulls the trigger a couple times and it clicks. And he's like, damn it! He's like, I've been firing off like empty rounds with the silencer on it. He didn't realize. Realize <laughs> it wasn't doing. He was shooting. So uh, this, this is a pretty good scene for Wells because he's gonna. They, they basically he's gonna he's he's got to go underneath like the sewer system thing. He's got to. And I love. What's the name of the game that they play that him and him and Wilson both play? It's kind of like paper, rock, scissors, but it's like a schoolyard potatoes or something like that. They call it. Yeah. What the? Yeah. 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 They was called potatoes. Oh. It's like one and then two and three and four. And they're doing this right. kind of schoolyard thing. He's like, man, I'm going to lose. And then he loses. He's like, no, no, no. Fuck it, man. And he's like, we're starting over again. Do it again. And he's like, no, no. You're. <laughs> he's like, you're going. And there's not a whole lot of humor in this movie, but the, the few times that it happens like that, I think it plays off very well because, you know, it, it just feels real. It feels it's very that, real. It is. Because like, even in the craziest of times, there's something that's kind of funny. You know, something happens that's kind of funny in real life, even like you, you can get a quick little chuckle like, oh, Jesus, you know, like uh, and uh, and and so it's the, the humor that's in there is not like, OK, I got to put some jokes in. You know, it's natural and it feels funny. Yeah, you know? it's that it's the kind of dry humor you'd come to expect, uh, especially from the John Carpenter's later years, you know. Uh, so basically, Wells now his task is the he's going to sneak up. He's got to come up through the ground come up through the manhole cover and then pop the manhole cover back down and then get into this car that's down the thing and hotwire it without being killed by the gang. So it's a pretty tense moment. <clears throat> he gets the manhole cover up. They're like, come on, come on. You know, they're like, whisper, move your dude. ass. Like, move your ass, move your ass. But, then, you know, they can't say it real loud. Whisper yelling to each other in the thing. Like, come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. You know? He finally gets up and... uh he gets out of there. He, he gets further than I would have given him, like, originally that I would have given him credit for. Exactly. But he slides it with his foot. He kind of puts it in where it's not too loud, and he kind of slides the handle cover in. He runs up to the car. Now the dudes are coming. So now he's like, fuck. You know, and he, he 
gets the door open. He jimmies it open. He gets in and then he he does a real fast hot wire. Um, on that was the car. fastest hot wire I ever seen. And he it was good. That was fast because they were coming to get him. Right. So he gets his gets his muscle car fired up. Now he's tearing. Now I like I like the shot when it's yeah, when uh, the, the point of view shot as it's barreling down the alley. Going down the alley because you think God anything comes out it's going to get destroyed. Jesus Christ. You know, he's going 100 miles an hour down this thing. A couple tons of uh, Detroit steel and glass heading at you. And it's a great shot, man. It's like, it's like, oh, fuck, here you go, baby. Get out of there, man. Go. Well, unfortunately, there was uh, one of the one of the gang members in the back seat. Shoots him right in the head. Right in the head. You know, and I, 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 have, I also made a note that the name of his plan was Operation, or no, was Plan Save Ass. Right. <laughs> Save his own ass. Right, right. Wilson no- notices it too, and he's like, you know, and he le- right before he, you know, he let Wells go down uh, to the manhole cover and whatnot. He points the gun at his head. He's like, now you make sure you call some us some help before you hightail it to Mexico. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, they hear the gunshot. They hear glass, uh, obviously from the window, and and then I think Bishop tries to like calm him down, like. Oh, maybe it was just some glass, you know. Maybe some, you know, like you're trying. Like, but they know, they know he's he's done. And yeah. so, so now we're back at it, and it's getting bad. They're good. They're they're getting ready to assault again. I think at this point, I think Julie, they're making the final seed, and they're, and they're kind of getting ready to make the final siege in the place. This is going to be the fucking the the fina- This this is the big deal. Now I think the last Julie, stand. You're right, the last stand. I was looking for that. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I knew one of them. My, my pleasure, sir. <laughs> and and uh, I think uh, uh, this is Julie is dead right now, isn't she? She got hit. Yeah, she she's been dead for five or ten minutes at this yeah. point, I think. So you got uh, we basically we have Lee, we have uh, we have Wilson, and we have Bishop. Yep. And our, we have our trio. There are our last three left. And we have Lawson, which he's there. That's the dad, where he's he's there, yeah. but. He's but he's not really there. You see shots of him sitting around the debris, and that's really all he does is cower under a blanket. So they come up with a plan, which is a pretty good one. They've got these acetylene tanks that they did uh, make note earlier in the movie. Uh, they're in this crate or something. Yeah, and because it was uh, it was some sort of leftover evidence that they hadn't shipped out yet. Yeah, it was something. There was a reason for them to be there, and they're there. So they get this cool idea to take, I guess there's some road flares or something. In there, and so they 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 figure they'll go down where the basement area is. There's this big sign that says "Support your local police." It's almost like half a sign, but it takes up like the whole hallway width-wise. So they're like, "Okay, we're gonna we got this idea." When these guys come in, we're gonna have a bishop's gonna shoot. They've only got eight bullets left total, so they they know yeah. they they, they it doesn't. Wilson's got three, Bishop's got three, and Lee's got two. Right, and they know they're not going to shoot their way out of it. So it's like, okay, <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna strap these flares to this acetylene tank, and then they're gonna get them all to come in, and then shoot this tank and fuck them up. So well, yeah, and then let's use the 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 support your local police sign. You know, the the police sign as a barricade. You know, to kind of help hold the guys at bay to kind of like. You know, it's like a catch-all. It's like, you know, it's going to serve as a barricade, you know, to protect right. them from the debris, but to make sure none of the gang members, they all kind of get siphoned off into this one area, and they're going to set off that tank. Flies them all in. They're all in there. 
So they're in there now. It's it's pretty much happening. They're all busting through. Um, and they also start busting. throwing Molotov cocktails at this point. This is when it makes things really real because they've thrown Molotov cocktails on the place and it set the place on fire. So it's burning down around them at the same time. <laughs> that happened too. Yeah. That that in the meantime they they'd heard them. They knew they're out of time because they can hear them on the roof. They know what's going on. It's like okay, this is bad. Molotov cocktails. It's it's go time. So. These fuckers, they've, they bust through that, that door, and they're coming down into the hallway down that leads to the basement. Lee's in the back. They're all, the three of them are there. And uh, so they got to watch. So so Bishop and Wilson are holding a sign, and and uh, they're... they're, uh, uh, Lee, they're well, Lee is down by the furnace. She's down in the basement of the place by the furnace. Right, keep keeping a gun with uh with with what's his name Lawson, Daddy Lawson. So she's that's what she's there, and, and Bishop and Wilson are there holding off. And these guys coming at him like with fists and bats and you know crowbars, and they're and they're just basically holding them off, and they're basically backing them up, and they're filling the hallway up with goons. You know, they're like they're all coming in now through this thing, and and they're filling up, and as they get farther back, a couple of guys start coming through the vent. In the back where Lee is, and I think she blasts him, doesn't she, with her gun? Yeah, she uses her last two bullets on them. Yep. She, 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 take- she, she takes those assholes out. Now, it's getting smoky because of the fire or whatever or whatever the hell is going on there. And Bishop is kind of in a quandary because he's got three bullets. And he can't see the, 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 can't see the, the torch. T- you can't see the, yeah, you can't see the tank. He's back there, like, fucking, you know, trying to. So he's literally firing. Firing into the dark, you know, he can't right. see what he's he aiming shoots, for. Misses, you know, you know, shoots, misses, it's getting worse and worse. Finally, bam, it's just like Jaws. It's the tank. Yeah. It's boom, the tank and it blows up. And it blows all these motherfuckers the kingdom come. Now it also bears mentioning that the two comps that have been so far useless driving around just so happened at about ten seconds for that happened. Thought, think they hear rain hitting their car, but they're like, "Well, it's not raining. What the hell is that?" And it's blood from a guy that they had uh, that the gang had killed from that they had hung and was lay, hanging from the telephone pole. Carline, yeah, line guy that was fixing something probably, and then they yeah they hung him and he was hanging off the thing. So, so they call in reinforcements, but it's funny right. that they call in reinforcements when there's nobody left. You know, what, a half dozen gang members go running into the dark? Exactly. As everything blows up. <laughs> so finally now, everybody's, all the cops, all the whole LAPD, motorcycles, uh, cruisers, they're all coming into the scene now. But our heroes took care of it. They blew the bad guys the fucking hell on back. There's a really funny scene, I love it, when the cops, they got the, the they look like the, uh, the motorcycle guys they got the helmets on. Yeah, they look like there. chips. Yeah, exactly. They pull the they pull the sign back, and the smoke clears, and the three of them are standing there: Lee, Lee, Wilson, and Bishop. And they're all kind of looking at the cops. Cops are looking at them, and Wilson says, "Got a smoke?" <laughs> yep. It is the ongoing joke that he keeps asking for a smoke, and it's not until about five minutes before the end that he finally gets his first five or ten minutes before the end he gets his first smoke. So basically, uh, they're down there. And they're they're cleaning up, you know, and you know they're they're got all the guys there. You know, the cops are on the scene. 
and they're taken out. They get uh, the dad, the father, uh, lost, and they get him on a stretcher, and he's kind of like, you know, like he's still out. He's still he's out. Useless, being as useless as he's been since so, like the ten minute mark. We hope he's we are we hope he's doing good somewhere. Yeah, get to Gordon, and he gets his somewhere treatment. in a padded room, still right. talking to himself. Um, and then Lay, Lee, they offer her a, a, a gurney, and she just fucking says, fuck it. She walks off and walks up the steps. Like, I well, don't need What I like, one of my favorite scenes is what happens next is pretty much before the end of the movie, they try to grab Wilson yeah. to take him off. And, and then Bishop just fucking body checks that cop and yeah. shows him away. He's like, you get the hell off of him. You leave him alone. Pushes that, that beat cop. Because the cop was just going to arrest him, and he told him, like, hey, don't worry about it. And then when he went to grab him again, that's when he goes, hey, get the hell out of here! You know, and yeah. he, pushes the, he pushes the cop, and the cop walks out. I just thought so that was commendable on his part, because yeah. they both saved each other's life how many times? You know? I mean, he at that point, is like, this is this guy had my back. He ain't gonna, you ain't cuffing him. He's walking out of here with me. You know? Yeah, like, he may He's still down. be going to death row, but you're going to treat him like a man, you know? Yeah, you're going to respect him. Because he saved my ass, he saved us. You know, all of us, as you know, I mean, as much as he could. And uh, and uh, so that was cool, man. And that's basically they, you know, they start walking up, and then uh, he tells him, "You're pretty fancy, Wilson." I remember, and he's just, he just kind of laughs at him and looks at him. He goes, "I have moments." Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and they just walk off. Walk they just off, walk off literally like two gunslingers walking into the the sunset. It's it's very classic kind of poetic this i have moments you know because wilson being the smart ass as he, that he is he, he's always kind of a smart ass you know and he never really you know he was never anything other than his him you know that's just how he was his demeanor and uh, he was a badass they fucking he and him and bishop they they kicked ass and so did lee that was good man that was i i really i really really it was this movie. I, I it like is it. a little bit of a slow burn at first, you know, and I don't, I don't think that's in a in a, in a bad way, right. you know. It it but it builds up with the characters so well. You get the note like it, like you said, it has a very Tarantino kind of vibe, with the different storylines converging on one another. Right. At least at the beginning, before you know, you got the dad and his thing. You got you know. Wilson and his his thing going on, you know, with getting taken to death row, and then you got Bishop being the new guy. You know, it, it all converges on itself very, very well. And of course, you know, Tarantino watching this as a young man, that's you know, that's him going, "Oh, I'm going to write a movie like that where they come together in these three different stories." So, oh like, yeah, that, that's his mo. <laughs> the the thing I'll tell you, I got to say something. I, just, I mean, this goes without saying. Everybody knows this, but God. Damn, that soundtrack was badass. That was one of the notes I had was the, the John Carpenter score, you know, and that opening with that iconic fucking music and that red. I love the fact that the credits are red on black as opposed to white on black like they, you know, like they were so often back in the day. I just, right. I love it. The music, the soundtrack is badass. One of my favorite you know, soundtracks. You listen to those those key, those synthesizers and you think, how many of that that style was done in the eighties, you know? And here it is, you know, mid seventies, yep. and he was doing this. It's like you know, it's like that. that it's you listen to that and you think, God, it's just that. Um, it's like the same thing with like with Halloween. It just makes 
it didn't mean it's not like it like it, you know it, it was just part of the movie it was so good it just it just fit it was just so it was a, like it's like its own living breathing character his musical prowess i saw him live about a month before i had my first heart attack almost a month to the day <laughs> so i was thankful that i got to see him live but uh it's it's a, an experience to to witness that man I would love. I, I, I if that comes comes around again and he does. I mean, I gotta. I can see that. I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, it's so cool. And not, not only the badass kind of ominous sounding synthesizers, but even the electric piano part that's just kind of the courting yeah. he does during the somber moments, the quiet moments. That kind of, you know, it's like uh, it's just it's 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 beautiful. It's I know what you mean. It's it's a it's just kind of it's a chilling kind of haunting type melody, isn't it? You know, it's just kind of you know on the electric piano, like a Fender Rhodes piano, probably or something. And he's just like you know, just beautiful little chords. It's just a stark contrast to the the, the actiony kind of scenes, you know, like, where they have. It's those highs and lows in a situation like that. It'd be like all that, you know, and then you just got like this stuff like in between, like things were kind of like, you know, the the things. This is the part where you kind of take, take a breath, you know, like ah, yeah, you, know. you can let your guard down for a minute. Yeah, just for a second, you know, and it's kind of like, oh. But he, and look he, at the person next to you, wink at him and go, you got to smoke? Yeah, yeah, right, got to smoke. <laughs> and then, you know, and it's kind of cool. Right, right. Like, it kind of eases you in and then it's back in it. You know, boom, here we go again. And that's, I mean, that's the beauty. It's this, you know, listening to this soundtrack, you know, like, I remember it's just like I had, I watched, I watched it again with it, it, with wearing headphones. You know, and it was just like, oh my God, it's just, just I just, it's so good, man. This guy is just, yeah, fucking he is a master. That's why we're covering him this month. <laughs> I mean, you well, know. let's go ahead and uh, I have a feeling I can probably guess where both of us are. Uh, well, I know where I'm coming in at. I, I can pretty much guess where you're coming in at. Uh, Want to go ahead and give us uh, your rating on a scale from one to 10 and final without thoughts a, on it? Without a doubt, this is one of my favorite movies. Um, in general, that's just one of my favorite movies, but certainly a, a John Carpenter uh, movie. But uh, it just it's it's got everything that I love in a movie like these kind of movies. And then with the music on top of it, it's just a bonus. It's like the the chocolate sauce on some ice cream, man. It's just so good. It just melds it all together. So <laughs> I mean, Assault on Precinct Thirteen is definitely one hundred percent a ten. I mean, I, there's just no way I could go any lower. There's no way. It's, it's, I, I just, I absolutely love this movie. I love the characters. You know, I, I can't even, well, I don't, I don't even really have any things in this movie that I even would call faults. It really had not. It, it's just, it's just, I think it's just a great movie. It's very entertaining. I love the slow kind of pacing. It just kind of keeps going. <coughs> and just the characters, the way they act with each other. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Just the way they interact with each other and everything, uh, and then of course Bishop, you know that I mentioned already. It's just, it's you know, and Wilson, you know, uh, it, yeah, it's a, it's you know, it, it's just, it's a great story. It's a great idea, you know. I, I you know, and it, it's just a, you know, to take a script and kind of take, okay, well, I want to make a western, and but make it into a modern world because of that, and then to pull it off like that, where it still feels like a western, you know, it still feels like you're right, watching. Right. It really does. You can be, they could have, you know, Bishop could have rode up on a horse, you know, and got out in front of the fucking precinct and it would have fit, you know. And it, it wouldn't was, have felt too out of place. <laughs> not at all. He was like a, 
You know, he was the soft-spoken cowboy hero. He did a wonderful job. And uh, the, they all did. Great, great characters. And uh, definitely a 10. Uh, Salton Precinct 13 is a, is a definite winner. I'm sure people listening to this have probably seen it. But if you haven't, by God, see it <laughs> now. Oh, Go definitely. See it. You're going to love it. If, if it's one of those ones that you see a million movies, but it's one movie you never got around to seeing, make an effort to see it because you, it, you, you I'd really be surprised if you didn't like it. It's, it's that yeah. good. It's a great story. And I love it. And I'm glad this review, uh, you know, this podcast with this particular movie because this is one of my faves. It was the it was a perfect one to start with. Uh, I agree with your rating. I give it a ten out of ten. On his worst day, it might be a nine point seven five for the fact that Lawson goes silent for three quarters of the movie. But you know that that's if I'm looking at it with a super critical eye, and I don't look at it with a super critical eye because it's it's just it's an amazing film all the way. You know that's a very minor gripe, but a, yeah, it's a ten out of ten. Like it, it, it's a modern day Western. It's like, you know, well, not a modern day because it's, it's as old as I am. It's closing in on 50 years old, but it's, you know, a modern take on that old, right. kinda, you know, lone cowboy riding into town. And again, I love all the performances. I kind of would wish the, you know, Stoker's career and Johnston's career had taken off a little more. I would have loved to see more roles like this from both of them. Right. But, you know, they both have great bodies of work. Tony Burton is great in it. Nancy Loomis, Laurie Zimmer, Charles Cyphers is great. I, I love Frank Doubleday as the White Warlord. He's so creepy, so chilling, you know, and never has to say a word. But he, yes. you know, uh, everything's great about it. You know, it's very well paced for the people that think it's uh, too slow or too slow paced. I, I, I can't see where they're coming from. I've tried to, but uh, I think they might have their head up their asses or something. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Because this movie is action-packed, you know, it, it does have some slow, somber moments, but, you know, it's got great character development, it's got, you know, uh, I, I love the fact that it's pretty much a, you know, a 70s urban take on Rio Bravo, and I right. love Rio Bravo, so, you know, that goes without saying, uh, the soundtrack is a very much its own living, breathing character, much like a lot of Carpenter's movies, you know, his soundtracks are fucking phenomenal and this one is no exception but yeah i think that's a, a good place for us to start was uh salt on precinct 13 and i'll only mention this once <laughs> avoid the remake i'm not saying that because i'm anti-remake i'm saying it because the remake sucks and that's all I've i'll say about that it. i've never seen it and i really don't care to but I'm i not had to I just, uh, I just i've never seen it the only I'll, I'll walk. I walked away from that movie, and the only character I liked was Brian Dennehy. He was wow. the only character character in the movie that I liked. I tried to give it a chance, I, but yeah, not not very good. I, I I think I gave that movie like a two two and a half out of ten. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, I had a copy of it that somebody gave me. I, I think I, I, I gave that away to somebody else just to get it out of my collection. Either that or I used it as a coaster. I'm not sure. Right, right. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, this has been fun, man. Uh, I miss talking to you. It's been a little while, not since we did the, the Creep Show show together. <laughs> I love these shows, and I appreciate you having me on, Cameron. It's always a blast. And, uh, of course, our favorite subjects, these great movies. Wow, these great yeah, films. exactly. And uh, and uh, it's always a pleasure doing these shows. I love them, and it's a lot of fun. It's very fun. Right, right, right on. Well, folks, 
we want to uh, both want to thank you for uh, tuning in. You know, you know you've already made uh, our previous uh, Director Appreciation Month for George A. Romero a huge success. It got a, a lot of great responses. We got a lot of great uh, feedback of people that w- they wanted to hear you know, hear us uh, talk about later on. So we uh, took all that in consideration and now we're doing John Carpenter this month and we got a few more coming in the upcoming months. But we want to thank you for tuning in to Cinema Degenerations uh, John Carpenter Appreciation Month. I've been your host, Cameron Scott. I want to thank you, Tom, my uh, co-host, Tom Commissar, for joining us. And we hope you tune in for more. Now what? Power failure? The streetlights are still on. I'll call Allendale on the two-way in my car. (laughs) Janie just fell down.